I've been following along with, with our, our readings through Luke. And uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to answer or raise your hands, but how, how are you doing in our, in our Lent journey? Uh, and and what, we're, what, we're, what we're doing as, as a community is, is we're walking towards Easter with some intentionality. That's what Lent is all about, is this, this intentionality to turn, turn our hearts and our minds back to God to remember um, what he did for us. And that last song, Adam and the crew led, I, I just uh, I hope that washes over you. If, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, if, if as we open up God's word, if, if something is heavy on your mind and your heart and you're not able even to hear some of, of what God wants you to say, I, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a heavenly father who loves you more than you will ever imagine. More, more than you can know, and I, I hope today that washes over you more than anything else uh, in this place. So I, I've, been, I've been reading through Luke. We have these little uh, bookmarks to help us as we, as we read through Luke. If you don't have one yet, you can pick it up. And, and here's the great thing. Some of you might be saying, Matt, I haven't read one passage of Luke as we've, uh, it's, it's my first day. I didn't even know Luke was in the Bible, and there's this, there's, there's, there, there is a book called Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke, and, and it means the good news. And um, the, the great news about like a Lenten study is that there's always tomorrow. So you can start with us tomorrow, and it doesn't take you very long to catch up if you want to go back. But even if you don't want to go back, you can jump in the middle of the story right now, and that's okay. Uh, as I've been reading through, I, I have found myself uh, convicted again and again by the words of Jesus, by these, these stories and these scenes that take place, the stories that are recorded by Luke, this doctor, helping us to get a glimpse of, of who Jesus was. And I don't like to be convicted all on my own, so I'm going to bring you all in <laughs> and take you on a journey today. Is that okay? Are you with me? So we said this, that Lent was really a time of humility, of being honest with ourselves, and of focus, of trying to get a glimpse, really, of who Jesus was. So today, where I think we're going to kind of get down to is to this idea of humility and being honest with ourselves. And I admit, today might feel a little heavy. But that's okay. You can handle it, right? You can go with me. Are you with me? Some of you are yes. The others are like, I'm going to cash out right now and uh, drift off. That's okay. So we've been walking through these, these stories. In the, in the first week, we talked about this idea. Jesus said that if any of you wants to follow after me, you must deny yourself. In other words, don't allow yourself to be at the center of your world, but kind of turn toward Jesus. Take up your cross, die to yourself, in other words, and follow me. So it's this, this picture of, of, uh, of making a conscious decision to, to go with Jesus somewhere, to, to follow with Jesus somewhere. And then last week, Matt Zelich, our, our student ministry, talked about this idea that uh, Jesus paints this picture that we're all, we're all trees, right? So if you can imagine yourself as a tree, maybe you do yoga and you're a tree, or whatever, uh, you're a tree, and all of us produce some kind of fruit. And Matt's question last week, I think, was a great one. What kind of, pr- uh, of fruit are you producing? And sometimes you don't know. You, you, can't, you can't taste your own fruit. You can't 
sometimes uh, see your own fruit. And so Matt challenged us to ask someone that we trust, somebody that loves us, to talk to us about the, the kind of fruit we're producing. That's a great conversation to have with, with, with someone that you trust. And today we come to this scene, and um, usually I put the, the, the words up on the screen so you can read along. I'm not going to read the story today. I want to tell you the story today. Is that okay? I, w- I want to tell you and give you a glimpse of, of what was going on in this moment with Jesus. So Jesus was, was a rabbi, and, and Jesus would often go to, to the temple and, and teach. And he would travel from village to village, and, and he would often go to the temple when he went to that village, and he would do some teaching. Now, it was common in that day for the religious leaders of the specific villages to invite Jesus into their house after he taught. It was kind of the customary thing to do. Uh, it would be as if, like, if we had a missionary that we were supporting, and we brought them home, you know, and they came and they taught, like, I would take them out to lunch, and maybe some of you would go with me. That's, that's kind of what happened in the ancient world. So there's this man named Simon. And Luke is very clear with us that, that Simon is a Pharisee. Now, some of you kind of know what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee was like the religious leader. They were like the religious elite. They kind of knew all the ins and outs of Scripture. So Simon was, was one of those. And uh, there were some different factions of, of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees were like on the far right of things. And they probably dismissed Jesus right away. But there were other Pharisees who were open to Jesus. And Simon was probably one of those because Simon invites Jesus over for lunch. Now, I'm one who believes that everything changes when you get around a table. I I love to eat. I love good food. I love sitting around a table. And I think when you sit around a table, the conversations that start to happen, the food fights that begin when you have young kids, that just changes everything. And um, Jesus goes to Simon's house, and he reclines at the table with Simon. Now, you can imagine, probably all of the religious elite had been invited with Jesus to Simon's house. Now, if you can get in your mind this idea that the tables were really low in the ancient world, so they wouldn't have been sitting in seats like we sit in, but rather they would recline at the table, they would lay at the table, and what would probably take place is they would begin having discussions about the scriptures. And so Simon, it's, it's probably like he's testing Jesus. Like, he's open to Jesus. He's got him in his house, but he's probably asking him all kinds of questions about, well, what would you say about this passage? And what would you say about this passage? But they're laying at this table. Now, in in our world, we have gates that keep people out of our neighborhoods or maybe gates that keep people out of our homes. And if we don't have gates, we have doors. How many of you have a door on the front of your house? (laughs) Most of us, right, have doors somewhere. My dad was, was born on a farm, and so sometimes I joke with him that he'd has no doors. But most of us have doors on our homes. In the ancient world, um, homes were different. And, and oftentimes, when something like this took place, people on the street who were passing by, they had these courtyards, and people could just kind of wander into the home. Now, it, for us, we think that's bizarre, like that people would just wander into your house. But in the ancient world, this happened all the time. People would wander in. Now, they weren't invited to eat at the table, but oftentimes, people off the street would wander in and just listen to the conversation. So we, we have this, this scene where all these men are at the table, people coming and going, coming into the courtyard, listening to what they're talking about, and then making their way out. And then Scripture tells us that a woman finds her way in. And this woman is known in the city. She's known by the villagers. 
she, she's known as a, as, a, as a prostitute. Now, not only are women not allowed at the table, but, but women aren't allowed to, to make their presence known. So here's Jesus on the floor, reclining at the table with these other men, and a woman makes her way in. Now, now imagine the gasp of the people. Like, what is she going to do? Jesus' feet probably behind him at the table. She comes to Jesus, and she stands at, at his feet, and she is so overcome with emotion that she can't hold back the tears. Have you ever been in a moment like this? that you can't hold back the tears. Maybe you were watching a movie and, and something was happening in the movie and, and, and there was something inside of you and, and maybe you're a man and, and, and you are like, no, it's my allergies, I'm fine. And, and you're like holding it in, like you don't want anyone to know that you're crying right now. A few years ago, I was at uh, my grandmother's funeral. My grandmother that I, don't, I, I didn't even really know very well. But... As they were talking about her life, one after the next, there was something within me that was so uncontrollable that I started weeping. You know that ugly weep? Like, and, and, I'm a, and I'm a guy, and I want to be respectable, and so I'm trying to hold it in, but it's like this, like you can't hold it in. Well, that's kind of the picture that's painted in Scripture. This woman is, is crying uncontrollably, and her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. The table is now probably silent. People wanting to know, what is Jesus going to do with this woman? Now, in the ancient world, women oftentimes wore their hair up or covered. And one of the most intimate acts for a woman was in the bedroom, in the privacy of her home, to take her hair down. This was not to be done in public ever. Well, this woman is caught in this moment where her tears are falling on Jesus' feet and she takes her hair down, another gasp in the room. She kneels down at his feet and she begins to dry his feet with her hair. As she, as she dries the feet of Jesus, I only imagine all the men at the table shaking their head with this indignation. What is this Then she takes from her cloak a little jar of expensive perfume. Now, being a prostitute, I can only imagine she saved up her money for the, for the perfume to wear so that she could get more business. But in this moment, so overcome with emotion, she can't help but, but take this vial, this, this perfume, and pour it on the feet of Jesus and rub his feet. Jesus, sitting at the table, looks to Simon, his host, the one who has invited him to the home. And as he looks at Simon, Jesus, kind of knowing his thoughts, Simon probably just shaking his head and thinking to himself, Luke tells us, thinking to himself, well, Jesus isn't a prophet because if he knew, if he was a prophet, he would know. And if he knew who this woman was, there is no way he would let her do this in this moment. Jesus, knowing Simon's thoughts, 
tells a story. Jesus often does this, right? He, he tells a story in the middle of the story. And he says this to Simon. He says, there was a man who loaned money to, to two others. To one, he loaned 500 pieces of silver. And to the other, he loaned 50 pieces of silver. Neither of these men could repay the loan. And so they were forgiven their debt. And then Jesus asked the question, who do you think was more grateful? So I ask you the question, who do you think was more grateful? The one who was forgiven 500 or the one who was forgiven 50? What do you think? 500. This is what the Pharisees said, 500. And Jesus said, you are correct. And then this equation. Jesus gives them an equation. He says, for those who have been forgiven much, right? For those who have been forgiven much, there is much thanksgiving poured out. In other words, there is much love that is given. For those who have been forgiven much, there is much given freely. And then he says, but for those who have only been forgiven a little bit, gratefulness is withheld. Love is doled out in small portions. And then Jesus. Now feel the weight of this. Jesus looks to the woman who is behind him, probably kneeling, continuing at his feet. Jesus looks to the woman, but he speaks to Simon. And he says, Simon, when I came to your home, you gave me no water to clean my feet, which is the customary thing to do. Yet this woman, since she's entered, has poured her tears out to wash my feet. Simon, you didn't even come up to me and give me a hug or a kiss, which is the customary greeting of a brother in the ancient world. And yet this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since she's been here. And Simon... You gave me nothing to refresh me. You, you, you gave me no oil. You gave me no oil on my head, which is the customary thing to do. Yet this woman took this expensive perfume and, and freely poured it upon my feet. This woman, her sins are many but they have been forgiven. Her sins have been forgiven, and she has poured her love freely upon me. And then he looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Now, Luke ends the story, and I want to know what happens to the men at the table. How do they respond? What do they do? And then, I find myself caught up and wondering. Wondering, if I fully grasp, if I fully grasp the, 
the love and the grace and the forgiveness Jesus has given me. I find myself wondering if I am like Simon, open to Jesus. I invite him in on occasion, willing to listen to him. Or if I have poured the weight of my love back on his feet because I am overwhelmed by the grace I have received. See, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that. Um, I don't think the point of the story is that this woman had a lot of sin to be forgiven, and this man Simon had little sin to be forgiven. I think part of the the point of the story is that this man Simon did not realize the depth, the depth of his sin, the depth of his need for God's love and grace. So my mind drifted to worship because I think in a, in a sense, this, this woman is giving us a, a picture of what true worship is when we, when we grasp who our Heavenly Father is and the love that He really does have for us. And so here's the conviction for me. The, the conviction rests... In, in, in my feeling that, that I am pretty good on my own. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever, have you ever seen someone else and, and, and thought, I am so thankful I'm not that far gone? Have you ever done that? Some of you are, are shaking your head, probably no, you've, you've never. I mean, I hate admitting to myself, but I have this feeling from time to time that that I'm pretty good on my own. And I fail to realize that actually on my own, I'm dead and I'm hopeless and there is no future for me. That's, that's the conviction. And I, as I begin to think about worship and, and even our worship and as we gather in this place on Sunday mornings and how we do this thing that we call worship, and I wonder if, if sometimes our reservation to, to lift our hands or to come to a cross, to sing out as if we really mean it, I, I wonder if sometimes the, the reserved nature of our worship has to do with our, our misunderstanding of who our God is. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that worship always has to be jumping and clapping and raising your hands and all that. I just, I just wonder if sometimes... Uh, our, our tendency to be buttoned up and, and, and be in the social norms of, of, of what's all around us if we're missing the weight of God's grace. There's this story in the Old Testament where David wants to build an altar for the Lord. And he goes to this man and he wants to build it on his threshing floor and, and he says to him, I want to buy your land so that I can build an altar to God. And the man says, take it, you're the king. You can have as much land as you want. You know what David says? He, he makes this statement. He says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And I wonder sometimes if my offering to God is simply 
the extra that I have rather than the weight. My, my all. The love. The gratefulness for what he's done. Worship isn't, um, our worship isn't simply acknowledging this awareness of God. Sometimes I think we come into this space and, and, and our mindset is that we're just going to acknowledge that God exists. But, but worship isn't just responding to the awareness that there is a God. Most people in this world would, would acknowledge that there is a God. Not everybody, but most people would acknowledge. Worship is responding to this growing awareness that there is a personal God who loves me, who loves you, and who pours out this unrelenting grace that is pursuing us. N.T. Wright, talking about this story, says this. He says, The Pharisee has never come to terms with the depths of his own heart. This Pharisee, he's never come to terms with the depths of his own heart, and he doesn't appreciate God's generous love when it sits in person at his own table. For Luke, this, this book that we're reading through, true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness, like this woman. And the sign and proof of this faith is love. What I want um, to do in the time that we have left is I want to take us through just a psalm. And um, I, want, I want to encourage us to, to look within, to consider Consider the depths of our own hearts. This is what David wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. And then David writes, for I recognize my rebellion. Now let's sit here for a moment. Do, do we recognize our rebellion? Do, do we recognize our tendency to turn and run from God? Do, do we recognize our tendency to put ourselves at the center of the world and allow everything to revolve around it? David is saying, I recognize, I recognize my rebellion, God. Aren't you glad you came to church to feel the heaviness of that? I'm glad you're here. I recognize my rebellion. I'll never, never forget a few years ago. It wasn't this cross. It was a cross that we had before. I'll never forget at the end of a service, a man came to this cross and he put his forehead on the cross, and he put his arms around it. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen in, in worship in this place. And he came to this cross, he put his forehead on the cross, and he put his arms around it, and his tears just began to stream and hit the ground. 
And as I think back on that, I think he probably recognized his rebellion. I love that David doesn't stop there. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And then David ends this Psalm chapter 51 by saying, the sacrifice you desire, God, is, is a broken spirit, an honest spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Adam's going to lead us in, in, a, in, a, final, in a final song. Uh, that's, that's a beautiful song that just says, Great are you, Lord. It talks about pouring out our praise. It speaks about realizing that the breath in our lungs is God's breath. It's his spirit. And as we sing this song together, um, we want to give you some space. Some space to think, to reflect, to consider. Uh, This cross is here. And this is a place that on Sundays, for many, becomes a place where they they lay down some burdens or some some weight. Uh, It becomes a place of confession for some. So there's some paper here and and some pens. And maybe you want to come during this moment and write some things down and just leave it at the cross. Just a symbolic way to say, God, I, I... I acknowledge, I see my rebellion, and I want to come to the cross to receive your forgiveness and grace. I want to pour out my love to you. In the back of the room are candles, and in the Bible, light represents God's presence. And maybe today you come into this place feeling uh, very disconnected from God. Maybe you feel uh, in, in a way that you haven't heard or felt God in years And maybe for you, your response is simply to light a candle and ask God's presence to be with you. Just a symbolic reflection and response to him. And then I'm going to ask a couple of our um, prayer partners and and elders just maybe to come and stand on this side of of the platform. And um, if if you just want someone to pray for you today, uh, they're going to stand here and They'll be here just to pray for you. You can come, and if you want to share something with them to pray for, you can do that. If, if you just want to come and just allow them to pray a prayer of blessing over you, they can do that. Um, what you share with them is confidential, but if you want to come and pray, feel the freedom to pray. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to sit and reflect, we just want to give you space to respond to God's spirit. My prayer for us in this moment is that we, is that we recognize our rebellion. It's that we, we, we feel the weight, not just of our, of our rebellion, but we feel the weight of God's grace. We feel the weight of God's forgiveness. Not, not some mental understanding of something that took place in the Bible, but that we, we feel the weight of his grace for us. And my prayer is that we feel it in a way that we're able to pour our love back toward him. Would you stand with me as we begin this time? God, you 
You are a good God. You're a good Father. And as you look at us, you, you, you call us sons and daughters. Through Christ adopted into your family. And God, just as this woman could not contain her love, her, her gratefulness for, for the forgiveness she had received, God, I pray that we would feel the weight of your grace for us. And God, as we consider this, as we, as we reflect and we respond, God, I pray that your spirit would, would fill us, would comfort us, would encourage us. God, I pray that you would convict us in these moments. God, you are a great God, and we pour out our praise to you this morning. We pour out our love to you this morning. May this be pleasing in your sight.